0: If you want 2024 to be your best running year, it is essential you have a customised training plan tailored to your race schedule and ability level. That's why I'm pumped to have Motive sponsoring the podcast. You can use the app for free, but if you want two months of premium access, you can use code SMARTER2. Sign up at mymotive.com. The link will be in the show notes. On today's episode, a comprehensive look at Return to Running with Eric Hegedus welcome to the run smarter podcast the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier stronger smarter runner if you're like me running is life but more often than not injuries disrupt this lifestyle and once you are injured you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. Thanks, Run Smarter Scholars, for joining me once again. I have Eric Hekatos on the episode today, and like I said last episode, I was stoked to have him. I was we finished the recording, and I just felt so good that we like I was learning myself a lot of things along the way, which always is a good sign that's a good episode. But I just couldn't find any downtime in this particular conversation with Eric, where it was just a whole bunch of value the whole way through, and yeah, really insightful, and I think we kind of just threw ideas off each other, and um, different insights, and different knowledge from different backgrounds, and yeah, it was just a jam-packed one, so Eric hegadis is a professor, he is a PT, a, a physical therapist, a clinician scientist, and a researcher, I first found out about him through this Mountainland Running Clinic podcast and he was, what they do on that particular podcast is interview researchers who have just released publications on running and he was one of the, the guests and his new paper was, or well, is titled Comprehensive Return to Competitive Distance Running. A clinical commentary, which we'll talk about. It was released 2021 this year and mainly working around competitive athletes, competitive distance runners. Um, but a lot of parables and a lot of takeaways for recreational runners, no matter what distance and what injury you might be facing. And so very thorough, comprehensive look into how to return back to pain-free running and yeah, we discuss a whole bunch of things today. We talk about we talk about the paper to start with, but then we delve into TRIMP, your training impulse. We talk about cross-training while injured and how to phase into more and more running and less and less cross-training. We talk about the mindset. We talk about psychological status when it comes to return from injury. We talk about what type of running is appropriate, and then we finish off with some of um, Eric's common mistakes that he sees with his competitive runners when it comes to injuries and um, injury prevention and injury mistakes that they make it was just jam-packed like I said you're gonna absolutely love it looking forward to bringing it to you let's get it underway Eric Hegedus welcome to the podcast thanks for joining me today
1: Thanks for having me. What an honor to be on this podcast.
0: Brilliant. Let's, let's talk about your article because I actually shared it with uh, a lot of my community. I did like a small post about some of the, the best takeaways with this clinical commentary. So the title was Comprehensive Return to Competitive Distance Running. Um, first, before we get started into the actual content, do you mind talking about how this idea came about and why this particular topic?
1: Uh, yes um, like like most of the research or clinical commentaries that I make it came out of it came out of clinical practice so in my last job I spent a fair amount of my clinical time working with uh, distance runners and was and again this was now uh, 12 years ago that I was at my previous job uh, in the beginning and uh, I, I wasn't very satisfied with the standard of care so not being satisfied is what sort of stimulated me to move forward Um, we had an athlete and uh, i'll I'll call her amy although that wasn't her name Um, but she was chronically broken so it was she was a very good high school runner and then it was one injury after another never finished a whole season without injury and The first thing that happened is we decided to work better as a team. So it was myself, um, two really good distance coaches who were creative in their approach to the rehab component, uh, a biomechanist and an exercise physiologist. And we were um, able to get her for her senior year not only to um, win a conference championship, but she also PR'd. And so we were, first of all, happy for her, but also maybe a little impressed with ourselves. Of course. <laughs> that somebody, yeah, somebody who'd been broken for for three years now all of a sudden could compete and and at the highest level. And so then we started to think, so let's re-examine that. What did we do right and what would we modify? Um, and so that, that resulted in this same team writing the paper plus two distance runners uh, who had been injured and treated by us. And so those are all the authors on that paper. Um, And and I think the important thing was for us, knowing that every patient is individual and has their their individual story, which is very important, is this article is a guide and not a recipe. It's not a protocol.
0: can, Can you maybe explain, because like when it comes to research and publications, like most people that listen to this podcast are just recreational runners. They don't have much of a health professional background. And so can you maybe just explain what the the clinical commentary is in relation to all the other publications that someone might find?
1: Mm, Certainly, yes. Thanks for that question. So um, research comes in many forms uh, and and it's even ranked by certain levels of Evidence. Um, clinical commentaries are a chance for uh, clinicians who um, have put together a series of clinical observations and have lots of experience with a certain population. And, and in our case, it was distance runners. Um, to to make a m- make to pull together some evidence that already exists, but make a comment about how we think rehabilitation from running should go. And so the, the gap we were trying to fill is many of your recreational runners who get injured will go to a physio. Um, that physio will do rehab, strength and conditioning, relieve pain, improve range of motion, all of those things. and And then when you're pain-free, sometimes it is, hey, just go head back to running. And then in many cases, and I know your recreational uh, runners have experienced this, but so did our competitive runners, they go back and, and continue to do the same thing that caused them injury in the first place and, and find out that they're re-injured again. So th- there's a gap between being pain-free and having normal range of motion and normal strength and actually returning to running. Um, and and this, this commentary fills that gap, we think.
0: Yeah, I, I do think there is, well, there needs to be space for these sort of articles to come out because expert opinions are very important, especially someone who's been in working with runners or being in the field for such a long period of time and having the the gift of experience and so it's having expert opinions which isn't evidence-based and those who like I was guilty of it in my early years just doing everything that's evidence-based and everything that's um, like have systematic reviews attached to it but there, there needs to be somewhere between the two because some aspects of research actually can't be studied that well in a really rigorous, double-blinded control trial. Um, So it's really nice to find experts like you and your team that have been working with athletes and try these things and uh, find the things really work and then producing a publication to share it to the world. I think that's really important.
1: And I'm gonna turn the tables and ask you a question. When you did straight evidence-based practice, um, did you find that limiting in some cases?
0: Well, it has to be limiting because there's so there's only so much literature available, um, but not only was I following just that, but I was also disregarding or thinking it's ineffective for stuff that hasn't been published either, like say um, stretching or foam rolling or those sort of components that either there's no literature or there is literature saying it's ineffective. I was really just like, um, disregarding it and saying, no, you should be avoiding this altogether. But in fact, there's actually room for that as well. There's room for stretching. If it feels good for you, there's, there's room for foam rolling and massage and all those sort of passive treatments, if it really feels good for the athlete. And so I found myself being a little bit more wise, a little bit more open, a little bit less biased to like just purely evidence-based stuff. And yeah, seeing, better results better better outcomes you could say
1: yes i think i think we we both come over time with experience to view evidence based instead of uh, a yes or a no instead of a dichotomous thing that you're either using evidence or you're not that that, that evidence has many layers to it, like an onion that you can peel back and use in different ways if you're creative. Yeah.
0: Especially with topics around say diet, I have a lot of runners that are like do more episodes on diet or low sugar or, um, what's going to be the best fuel for me to complete a, an ultra marathon. And I'm very nervous because the, the science, like the actual literature has been published is like, you know, it, it just varies. It varies for the individual and so my best mm-hmm. approach for that is just relying on experts who have worked with athletes and worked with and done so many different things and learnt learned along the way to just trust their opinion and mm-hmm. interview them. And that's kind of like my answer rather than me relying on my own beliefs and my own research that I find. Yeah, great. I think, uh, I, talk about me way too much. Let's, um, let's talk about the, the first <laughs> thing in the paper that I really enjoyed was this concept of Trimp. Um, Can you maybe explain that and how it can be so relevant for an injured runner?
1: Yes. So um, there are many ways to calculate your load um, in a week. And so most runners just say, well, that's, that's easy. I, I calculate my load as I ran 15 miles this week. Um, And so, so therefore that's my load, but that doesn't take into account speed, um, magnitude of your efforts. Um, so, so we started to think what measure is out there that not only a clinician but a recreational runner could use to, to kind of gauge their load. And, then, and the important part of gauging your load is, number one, that you understand when you were healthy. This is the load that you were running at uh, in a pain-free way. And then when you're injured, it helps you set goals. It helps you progress appropriately. But it needs to be, it can't always be, you know, a a treadmill test for VO2 max or running efficiency. Uh, Not everybody has access to that. So um, TRIMP is training impulse. Um, And... We are typically doing some measure of load, like the distance that you ran, times your rate of perceived exertion. And for for those out there who don't know what rate of perceived exertion is, it's basically rate your effort during that workout on a 1 to 10 scale. Um, And then you take your distance buy that RPE number and you get your trimp, or, or a very usable le- um, measure of load. And so that measure allows you to say, well, I ran a shorter distance today, but I ran it much faster and my RPE was higher, or I took a longer but slower run. My RPE was lower and you can get very similar trimps from those two approaches.
0: I have... Um... I've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but over the last few months, I've actually implemented something like this over the weeks and calculated my weekly trip. I didn't call it a trip until I realized that's what it was actually called. <laughs> I just called them arbitrary exercise units. <laughs> but um, recognize like over the last Great. few weeks that like, if you do a workout at like most of my long runs, easy runs, I would classify as a three out of 10. That's That's what I would mainly rank it as. But how quickly your trim can escalate if your workout is like a five out of 10 compared to a three, it's only just a, a slow bump up in intensity, but the trimp score just like really quickly accumulates and, you know, even just doing it for 20, 30 minutes can really, um, it just goes to show how intensity is really, really important rather than just f- purely focusing on mileage. And like I are saying at the start, it's good to have a reference point of, okay, what, your trim score, what you can currently tolerate or what you could tolerate pre-injury so that you have kind of like that baseline or that reference point to refer to when you are returning back from injury.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. And and the key thing is to have it be easy and usable because if it's, if it's too complex, people don't use it. Yeah.
0: And I, I think I will do an episode in the future. Well, very close in the future about the intensity of like one to 10 and some I guess some good characteristics around describing what that is because a lot of runners especially recreational runners that haven't had experience with this before is like well what's a three out of ten what's a five out of ten so um hang tight with me listeners I'll, I'll do an episode in a lot more detail with that but I have a question if someone yep. is injured can we apply the Trimp score to their running but can we also apply it to their cross training and how can we combine the two
1: yeah, great question, and and thank you for asking that. So I can clarify a little further. Um, yes, uh, you can do you can use the trim when you are doing your cross training. It works on a, a bicycle, a stair climber, a rowing machine, all of those things. Um, it, it is e- easily transferable, and so in the early stages, when perhaps all of all of your return to sport training is cross training that's a good time to be able to say uh, because because i know even recreational runners get nervous about getting out of shape because they're not running but i would say in fact the trim from a good hard interval bike workout um, will will still keep you in in not the same shape as running but really close so that you wouldn't miss
0: You aren't a template, so your training shouldn't be either. The Motive app takes training plans written by the best coaches in the world, then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. It's such a good idea, which is why it is one of the fastest-growing training apps in the world and has thousands of age group athletes signing up every month with a near-perfect 4.9-star rating. It will even plan triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, and other events if you're branching away from running races. You can use the app for free for as long as you want, with the premium access being just $19.99 per month. But if you use code SMARTER2, you can get two months of full premium access. Sign up through their website, mymotive.com, and make 2024 your best year yet. And so would... Because we're, we're working out like minutes of exercise. If you run for 10 minutes at a three out of 10, that's 30 trim uh, on your trim score. Do we apply that mm-hmm. same? Like, is 10 minutes on the bike at what they're perceived would be a three? Is that would that just equate exactly the same?
1: Yes, it, it, it is a way to equate, but of course. You know the problem. The problem if we did not have the rate of perceived exertion if, as part of TRIMP is if you just compared ten minutes of running versus ten minutes of biking, um, all of your guests would find ten minutes of biking far easier, unless uh, for that ten minutes they were biking straight uphill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 yes, uh, yeah. The, the beauty of the TRIMP is it does translate. And again, you would have to work much harder on the bike in 10 minutes to get an RPE of 8, let's say, than you would with running to achieve an RPE of 8. Mm.
0: Or, or go at a very easy intensity on the bike, but go a lot further in order to achieve the same trim score, which uh, I, I like how you can... That's play with right. the numbers and kind of massage the numbers a bit to, to your outcome which i find a really helpful process because you can look back on your previous week and calculate all of your trim scores and come up with a number so you're you know you're referring back and coming up with a figure but you can also re-engineer re-engineer this in a way that you say okay i have maybe a run tomorrow but it's a sunday and i can only do this amount of trim so let's just say like a 100 um, on your score. And so you can actually forecast what your intensity should be and how far you can run in order to make those goals. So you're using this trim for both the past and also for the future planning, um, which I find really helpful if maybe someone might need a coach in order to, to help them with those numbers initially, but, um, can be extremely effective.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're correct, and and uh, actually, the authors of this paper, three of three of us, did a study in the past looking at uh, energy energy expenditures on, and foot strike pattern on a curved treadmill as opposed to a flat treadmill. So, I won't tell you and, and bore you with the outcomes of that study and all that we did, but what we did find on there that's of interest to your runners, I think, who are recreational runners, is. Um, Competitive runners get used to sort of estimating the difficulty of their workout, right? They might call it a tempo run or a threshold run um, and might not call it an RPE. But what we found in that study, just as a side finding, was that those people who practice more often at understanding their effort level were more accurate and, and more consistent uh, um, than recreational runners. So all that tells me is recreational runners should be using that RPE scale. And as you use it, you get better at it. Uh, and as you get better at it, then it's a, it's a better monitor of your load. Yeah.
0: And I think someone's reference point might be extremely different to, to another runner But as long as your reference point itself is consistent, then, you know, you're going to get a consistent number and you're only referencing yourself, whether it's past and future. So as long as you identify, okay, when I have this feeling, when it's this effortless, this is a four. um, And you just have that as your reference point, then you can't go wrong with um, measuring that against yourself, whether it's easier from there or whether it's harder from there. And, um, when it comes to, I say, return to running for from injury. Like if you have that same reference point, then you, you really can't go astray. You're correct. I want to talk about within the the bulk of the paper talks about phases of returning back to running. And so this is for injured runners, injured competitive runners, and it might get to a point where their injury is so severe that they can't tolerate any amounts of running or very, very low amounts of running. And so the phase one of um, these phases is just cross training only. And I want to ask like the, the next phase up is going from cross training only to quite limited running, but also the vast majority is still cross training. So you're slowly introducing running. How do we know when we're ready for that phase? When are we ready to go from only cross training to starting out or trying to see if we can tolerate just low amounts of running?
1: Yeah. What, what a, um, insightful and fantastic question, because that is, that is how do you know when you're ready to go to the next stage? Um, and if it were, if it were a recipe that we were giving your, you and your audience, there would be, uh, you're only ready to progress when you do A, B and C, but, What we are relying on and and what we hope is that anybody who is injured is actually working with a physio or a team of folks to get to the next stage. Because there's, you know, there are things, there are different things you can use to judge the next stage. One of them is Trimp. Um, uh, One of them is your pain level. One of them would be your irritability. And what I mean by that is not whether you're grouchy with the people in your life. Irritability uh, from a physio standpoint is um, if you have an injury that with a very mild stimulation hurts for hours and hours and hours and ruins your sleep, that night and even into the next morning you're still hurting from a very small effort that is a highly irritable condition and it is not wise to progress with a highly irritable condition so irritability is one thing your mental state is something you have to be ready to take the next step you have to not be fearing to take the next step Um, and then you can also do some some Sort of fitness testing or physical performance testing, and fitness testing would be oh gosh, there's a there's a you know different fitness test using bikes like the Wingate test and other tests that your physio will know. They will test you, but also it will be proof to yourself that you're ready to take the next step. Um, and there are also physical performance tests. So if you're having knee pain, patellofemoral pain, somebody might say, you know, when we did this single leg step-down maneuver a couple of weeks ago, you said your pain was 7 out of 10 during that step-down maneuver. What is it today? So you repeat that test and then say, okay, it's, it's now down to 4 out of 10, and its irritability is low. We think we're ready for the next step. Um, So, so it's all of those things that go into determining when you go to the next stage, which is why I think you should be working with someone rather than, rather than sort of reading um, something on the internet that says, you know, do this latest, coolest recovery uh, technique and it will, and it makes everyone better, (laughs) right? Yeah,
0: totally agree. And it goes to show just like having someone on your team. Because especially if it's an experienced running coach or a health professional, they're designed to like, based on your specific injury, know some sort of what requirements, uh, what's required of that tissue for running and then trying to kind of mimic, I guess, tests like Achilles, you know, jumping on the spot or like hopping or like you say, for a knee, it might be doing weighted step ups and trying to challenge the structure in a way that sort of mimics the mechanics and the loads of running and then to see what the response is like afterwards. And then based on the interpreting symptoms and interpreting like how much the recovery has behaved over the past couple of weeks, they can then make the decision of not only, okay, you're ready for running, but also, okay, let's try out this volume of running, which might be extremely gradual, Um, particularly I find, Uh, You talked about the mental state, which we'll go in a bit more detail in a second. But if someone's really fearful of running, well, let's just do a 30-minute walk. Are you fearful of that? And then saying, hey, how about in that walk, let's just do 15 seconds of jogging on the spot or let's just do 15 seconds of jogging and see how that feels just to calm them down a lot more. But that might be what's required based on the irritability or the risk you wanna take with that certain injury. Um, Stress fractures is another example of something you wanna approach very gradually and pay attention to the symptoms. So very important to have someone on their team. Um, While we're on this topic of the phases, so the phase one from cross training only to the next phase, do you maybe just wanna go into detail about the specific like sub phases, I guess, within phase two of returning to higher volumes of running?
1: Sure. Um, so there, there are six phases, um, that, that was sort of a, oh, I don't know, arbitrary number that we picked six phases. Um, and that was based on experience. So, uh, phase two, you, you're still doing mostly cross training and by mostly cross training, I mean, uh, only five to 25% of your workout is actual running and then In phase three, you know, you're your the cross training is still the dominant thing, and it's and only about thirty to fifty percent of your training is running, and then all of a sudden in phase four that relationship flips, and now you're doing more running, greater than fifty percent running, and still cross training. And and very often in phase four. Is when overground running is happening. So when we talk about running in the previous phases, it's we had the benefit of having sort of a weight altering treadmill. So we would use that we would use that weight altering treadmill to, in effect, change the individual's body weight. And not everyone has access to that. Um, and then phase five is is you're all overground running um but you're just you're just increasing your intensity um and and then you know the last phase is you're you're sort of uninhibited and striving to perform again uh, so those are those are the phases that we sort of took people through mm. and six phases you could make them five or seven Or eight, if you wanted to. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, You're talking about like the the final phases, introducing intensity, introducing speed. I know I've had a fair few listeners ask the question, like when I'm injured and I'm returning to running and most of my volumes, well, all of my running is now just a really slow intensity. How do I know when I'm ready for speed work? Um, (laughs) I guess this is where that that trimpe, concept comes into it because then you can have that intensity um aside from calculating the is there any other cautious or guidelines um tips that you might have for someone to who is ready to introduce higher intensity efforts and introduce speed anything that you might want to include
1: sure yeah so so i would say that if you're working with a good physio you are as certain that you're ready to do speed as the physio is and and what do i mean by that Well, we've already said that um, the way that you progress from one stage to another is hopefully that physio is doing uh, a test and sometimes they're they're not taxing on the cardiovascular system like a a single leg uh, hop a repeated hop for an achilles injury um but But sometimes it is, you know, I want to, on the bike, we are going to do 10 minutes as hard as you can possibly go on the bike, as hard as you can possibly go. And you can do that early on in the phases. And so you are in effect, and I know it doesn't feel like that because you're not running, but you are in effect gearing your system for faster muscle activation, and and to get ready for speed running. And so I, I do think that you, all along as you're tested, somewhere in that protocol should be maximum effort activities. Because not only did that does that prove to the physio that your condition's not irritable, that you're getting in better shape, uh, but it also proves to you as the patient that you are are able to do more than perhaps you thought, and are not fearful of maximum effort activities. I I think if that never happens in your rehab process, if you've never done a maximum effort activity on the bike, for example, all of a sudden you get to phase five and you're like, well, everything that we've done up until now has been slow motion. And And it should not have been, it should have been, if you're doing a stair climber, which you know is no no um, impact at some point you should have proven to yourself that you can go very hard on that and, and trimp is what quantifies very hard
0: Hmm. well said very well said and i think it's the same discussion when talking about okay i'm doing cross training only how do i know when i'm ready for low amounts of running i think it's the same process when someone's talking about okay i'm doing slow running, 100% of my running is extremely slow. What can I do to, in? what should I do or how do I know if I'm ready for speed? You can do fitness tests, you can do capacity tests and like the same discussion, like a physio would know when, what tests to administer and then pay attention to symptoms to see if you're ready for low amounts of speed work. It might be like kettlebell swings or something more power-based like box jumps or, Um, Something that includes a bit faster movements, speed, power, plyometrics, and then paying attention to that behavior. And this is all dependent on the the specific injury, but can then give us enough evidence or enough confidence to say, all right, let's start. And then the process starts again. It's slow amounts of speed, slowly introducing interval sessions and sticking to those same trim kind of scores. I, I really... Really like that. Really like that answer.
1: Great, thank you. Yeah, and I think I think you know even with stress fractures, which are a scary injury, right? Um, and 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 they happen a lot if you if you run distance. So, um, you know, they're not unheard of. Um, people get fearful when they hear the word fracture, and that is a normal reaction. And so, if you've never shown that patient, if you've never worked together to see that you're ready to start running, the first run is a very sort of scary thing. But, you know, um, I I know you wouldn't, uh, Brody and and I wouldn't either. I wouldn't have someone run unless I could understand that they could absorb impact on that leg without having lots of pain and so how would you test that right you do you do single leg hopping and bounding kind of work to to and it, and that shows again since you know the patients and the physios are working side by side it it shows both of us that you are ready to accept single leg weight and force into that limb and and not hurt right so it shouldn't it just shouldn't be a mystery that you're ready to do speed. If it is a mystery, uh, that means that you haven't been tested uh, throughout, and 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 you should do that regardless of what phase you call it. You should you should be re-examining throughout where you are. Yeah, um, I, I think it
0: definitely shouldn't be a mystery, and we we shouldn't be taking high risks. Like there, there's a way to slowly introduce things to reduce the amount of risk. And I, I'm curious about the. You talked about the mental state, like someone might be quite fearful returning to whatever next level, next challenge ahead of them, whether it's introducing running or introducing speed work. And I guess for the recreationals, out, recreational runners out there to understand, what about if they're really strong? What about if they can tolerate running? We're more than confident they can tolerate running, but they're quite fearful. Why is that
1: important? well because it because it of course um, and I know you know the answer to this but thank you for asking me anyway <laughs> <laughs> i do my um, best you, yes um, and so that th- things like anxiety and fear which are very normal right the uh, research uh, and, and and again I, I would i need to qualify this answer research would would say that, and, and that there is fear and anxiety in every athlete after an injury and those are those are things uh, they, they are related to fear of re-injury um, uh, anxiety about when I go back to competing will I be as good as my old self uh, if it's a team sport will my teammates see me as the injured person will I still have my same skill level will I so there's all sorts of questions that are very normal that that you know in the old days we just used to ignore them because he said we we used to just think well physios are responsible for the the you know the biomechanics and the musculoskeletal issues here where we don't deal with that other stuff and then we realized that other stuff was as important or more important than the physical things we were working on because you know you can you can be in fantastic shape, a very strong runner, and if we've never proven to you that you are ready to go back and to, com- to compete, if we have never proven to each other that you're ready to go back and do that, your fear of, of movement and re-injury will markedly impact your performance. And, and again, the qualifier there is, I think, that to be the case, but there is not, oddly, great research in runners about that. It's just not as prevalent as it is in the cutting sports where people tear their anterior cruciate ligament.
0: It's it's an interesting topic. I think we can have an entire episode on this. And if someone is quite fearful, if their injury is ready for running, like if they're strong enough, but a lot of fear exists within them, they might move differently. They might be more tense, but on the other side of things from what the listeners will know about pain science. Cause I've done a fair few episodes on that. it's one of my particular interests um, mm-hmm. acceptable. We, we do allow acceptable amounts of pain returning to running. It doesn't need to be pain free. It can be like reduced what we call acceptable amounts. As long as there's no flare mm-hmm. up afterwards and it's recovering back to baseline symptoms quite quickly. But if someone is fearful, highly anxious, those thoughts, emotions actually amplify pain signals. And so it can actually, if we go for a run and it's, if you're in a nice, calm, confident state, it might be a two out of 10, but that might highly escalate if you are very, very fearful because the brain starts to prioritize this as a threat. It starts to, you know, create a lot of perpetuating thoughts and kinesiophobia and all this sort of stuff that really creates high levels of pain. And then it's really irritable afterwards and it's not as successful and that can kind of perpetuate fear and anxiety moving forward for the next attempt of running. And is there anything that runners can do in order to, if they are one of those really high, highly anxious, fearful individuals, um, is there anything they can do within their rehab to help improve their confidence levels or minimize that psychological side of things?
1: Uh, Yeah, so there are a bunch of things that we can do. And, of course, uh, I I won't go into this because you have had other episodes, right? There's some good literature to back pain science education that, you know, the physios discussion of pain science um, with with their uh, runner. Um, I I also think that the testing and the maximum effort things that we talked about earlier has a... I hate to call it an inadvertent side effect because I'm so used to this side effect that it's not inadvertent anymore. But what I found was uh, testing and and showing people what they're capable of, so they don't have to guess, reduced a lot of that fear and anxiety. Um, and 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 again, having a having an open and honest um, communication with your between patient and physio uh, is incredibly important because it doesn't matter if I think my patient is ready to go to the next phase if they haven't joined me in that process then they are likely to have greater reports of pain uh, movement anomalies that in themselves might cause pain so there that's what that's what I would say do you have other things that you do clinically?
0: Um, clinically, no, I don't really necessarily do outcome measures and things. But I think, like you said, having that open and honest discussion, because if you're honest with the runners, the runners are going to be honest with you. And some runners might be holding back apprehensions or you know fearful tendencies. But if you're upfront and honest, then that's going to um, come forth. And then if they do realize, or if they do communicate that they're anxious, then one of the most powerful tools I think is just education and saying, all right, so the demands with 30 seconds of running is going to be this. However, you are doing all of this in the gym and point them to an even greater demand. Say if they're doing weighted step ups or if they're doing uh, hopping jump rope, all that sort of thing. And then pointing to those, the demands of 30 seconds of running is going to be nowhere near what you're already tolerating. And then that, can kind of like point them to evidence to help calm down their anxieties and kind of reassure them that way but if they still feel apprehensive then just working their way through that rehab ladder maybe there's there's more rungs in that rehab ladder to help build up their confidence and I think that's extremely important obviously working with competitive runners like you have is a different story because you have competition and you have a team that you're relying on and not trying to let down your team, there's a lot of psychological factors in there that I'm not used to dealing with, but I'm mainly referring to those who think they're going to flare up their injury or think that they're going to, you know, do more damage or another injury is going to arise and just allaying their fears with education, just building up their confidence that way. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I wanted to finish up with any common miss like mistakes that you find runners making or misconceptions that you see within the running community. Um, Maybe it is when returning from injury, maybe it's around injury prevention. Um, First of all, we'll start with mistakes. Any common mistakes that you see athletes making? Uh,
1: Yes. And, and okay. So your audience needs to understand that I love working with runners. They're they're my one of my favorite populations to work with, if not my most favorite population to work yep, with. Here we go. But I do see, yeah, yeah. So all of that said, um, the I do see some very common things that runners do. That sort of when I was new to working with runners 12 years ago. They stuck out to me as different in the running population, right? And so um, the first I would say is that people are in too big a hurry many times to get back to running, and the first day that they would have a pain-free day, they would go out and run 10 miles, even though they hadn't run 10 miles in three months. So in a big hurry to return to running. And I'm hoping our discussion of trim and alternate ways to be ready for a return to run helps a little there. Um, the other thing that I see is I think they believe that when pain is gone, you're better. So that's the other thing. Um, And I think with a good physio, what you're trying to get at is relieving pain, but also to understand the reason why the pain began in the first place. Was it a a training error? Was it uh, equipment? Was it um, nutrition? Was it, is it the way that you move? Are your biomechanics such that? Every time I return you to running, when you get to a certain mileage, you're going to get a metatarsal stress fracture, right? Um, and you could be pain-free now, but if we haven't corrected some of those things, the likelihood that you'll be in pain again is high. Um, I would say the other one, and this is my own bias, so freely acknowledged, way too much use of, of the swimming pool and aqua jogging. Uh, I'm... I'm I'm not a fan of either, which I'm happy to talk more about. It doesn't mean I never use it. It means I rarely use it. And then I would say that the final error is, and, and I get this, especially in recreational runners, right? Very often, it's your favorite, most fun form of exercise. You want to be able to work into your busy life, the ability to just come home Uh, or go out at lunch throw your shoes on and run and when you get back you feel fantastic and you're ready for the rest of your day or you're ready for going out that night or whatever it happens to be but then if that's what you do uh, I think you're missing the fact that runners are athletes and I know that sounds like why would you say such an obvious thing because there was a time when runners were, were runners and athletes were people who played basketball and football, right? Um, or or soccer. And so I think many runners don't give strength training the credence it probably deserves and make time for it in their, in their training schedule.
0: So many good points there. I, I wanted to delve into all of them. I don't think we have time. I will talk about the that hurry that people do have, I think that's such an important one because I work with a lot of injured runners and when I'm working with them and they're in pain and they're not running because of their pain, I ask, what are their goals? And their number one goal is I just want to run pain-free no matter what distance. I love running. That's all I want to do. And then maybe it's in a couple of weeks, they're back to pain-free running and they say, so Brody, there's a marathon in 10 weeks. Um, Do you think I'm ready? And you just, you know, you, you have to talk them down yeah. from that, but it's, I think it's human nature of a runner. They just, you know, as soon as they feel great, they're looking for that next challenge, which is fantastic, but you do need to be very sensible. And I think when people are pain-free, it's very hard for them to be sensible. They're only sensible when they're in pain because it's such a high motivator, but can can we answer this one really quickly? If you have, if you are returning from injury and you now are pain-free and you talk about using that trimp, is there a method um how much trim should we be improving is it 10 percent per week is it more than that is there Mm. any guidelines around that
1: yeah what and again another great question so um the evidence-based answer if evidence-based is black and white like we discussed earlier is we don't know um uh dr tim gavitt has done a lot of research about the about this acute to chronic workload ratio, right? Um, that that when you exceed, if you look at your your trimp over four weeks, and you exceed that trimp, um, if you by fifty percent. So if you do hundred and fifty percent of your trimp in that next week, your likelihood of injury goes way up, and so again, 150% acute to chronic workload ratio seems to cause injury. Um, When he made that statement, he did not say that 150% was the number across every single sport because there hasn't been data gathered across every single sport. So I still use that as a rough guide. I still use no more than 10% as a rough guide, but again, I've worked with some elite athletes that, that, uh, can handle more than that and have not a, not a severe injury and not one that's highly irritable. And so we may progress more, but I I think if you're looking for rough outline of those out there, I would say, um, look at your acute, your four week trim and try not to exceed that this week by more than 50 percent and then um you know no more than 10 percent a week good number also yeah
0: yeah a, a good um safe advice there as well but like we do know that there are some resilient runners out there the phenomenon and we do know that there are some injury prone runners out there for whatever particular reason but i think if you are Implementing this trimp method, you at least have data. So if you are injured, you can look back and see, all right, oh, I increased by fifteen percent. Let me overcome this injury. Then next time, let me not exceed it by fifteen percent. Let me just go below that and stick around, you know, ten to twelve. And you then have evidence for yourself as a runner, as an individual, instead of trying relying on evidence that accumulates a whole bunch of different runners, along with those, say resilient runners that just don't seem to break down and um, it's just comparing yourself against yourself and it's also listening to your body as well if you try to increase by 15% and before you get to an injury if you feel yourself a little bit more tired than usual a bit more lack of motivation you just feel a bit more stiff and sore and just not really eager to get out there maybe that's a sign that you are ramping up too much and you catch yourself early enough before an injury arises and then you can say, look, I don't really respond well to that um, increase, that percentage increase like other runners might. So let me just go a bit lower than that. I think it's the best to compare against yourself and having the the data to compare against yourself is um, the best. And so calculating that mileage, calculating the trim is probably the best way to do that. And as we wrap up, are there any other final takeaways, anything we maybe haven't talked about or any final just messages that you want the listeners to to catch
1: well i think i think there's a future episode here on prediction of injury so how how does that athlete know when they're teetering on the edge of getting injured that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother day um and it's very complex, but you're right. You mentioned some things that are very key there, from from the physical to the psychosocial to the things like sleep and stress and those sorts of things. Uh, the way they change can make you more prone. But I would say final takeaways from this session: please strength train if you're a recreational runner. Uh, please work with a physio and and ideally that a, a team of people if you can, as you as you try to progress safely back, not only from this pain episode, but to prevent pain episodes from recurring again in the future. Um, I would say find somebody. uh, uh, This may sound uh, a bit of snobbery, but it's not meant to. Find somebody, if you're going to work with somebody that actually works with runners, then who has better advice for you than, well, just rest until it until the pain goes away and then you can start running again. Um, and then and then, try to enjoy more and look at your watch less, I would say. <laughs> yeah,
0: runners are too hard on themselves these days and uh, they hold themselves very accountable. They hold themselves to a very high standard. And if you just learn to enjoy, not compare yourself to others and just love the process, I think it's not only more enjoyable, but your body thanks you in, in the long run as well.
1: I think you're exactly right there. Running is a is a wonderful and a beautiful and a you know exciting sport. Um, running has let me run places where the the beauty was awe-inspiring, and I know it has for you also, and many of your runners out there. and And to miss to miss that beauty because I was worried about being 10 seconds off my uh, mile time just seems like a waste to me.
0: Eric, this was a very heavy hitting interview. I think it was just jam-packed of value the entire time. And so the listeners are going to absolutely love this. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for the research that you do. And yeah, it's a lot of value in this episode today. So
1: thank you very much. Brody, thank you. and, uh, and, And thank you for answering my questions. Great insight as well
0: who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping
1: you on your run smarter path.